Welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist, the podcast where we meet the people of Canterbury Baptist Church in Melbourne, Australia, hear their stories and explore ideas relevant to our church and community. My name is Stephen, and for today's episode, let's conclude our conversation with Ariel. Ariel, welcome back to the People of Canterbury Baptist podcast. Hello, Stephen. Thank you for having me again. Well, I'm glad you did come back because otherwise we would have been left on a cliffhanger. We, we got to the end of your university years, but you've given us plenty of hints about uh, your journey mm. from the University of, of Philippines in Manila, Philippines. And of course, now here we are sitting in Canterbury here in Australia. So there's a bit of a journey between there and here. So maybe let's let's take that journey. Let's see where we end up. So as we said, the place we finished uh, last time was you was you finished your university course. Yep. I'm I'm assuming that you successfully got your degree. Or was it a single degree or a double degree? It's a single degree in engineering. Yep. yep. Specialising in which area? Electronics and communications. Electronics and communications. And so were you able to, to walk straight into a job with that? I did. Um, immediately after I graduate, I managed to start my career as a software engineer in a company that was developing SSDs, solid state drives. And um, so that was the job you went into. Was your expectation now that you'd sort of landed landed in the world in the job that you thought was going to carry you through for the rest of your life? And so you're beginning to look forward to having a very stable life? Or did you have dreams and ambitions about ways you could use your, your education? Well, at that time i was just happy that i'm earning yeah um because it's i have my own money now basically and um i was just not looking too much far ahead at my career at that time and so how many years were you in that job i was there for four years okay and what then caused you to change job and what job did you move into next around that time i most of my colleagues started to work overseas um I think there were two or three engineers before me who managed to land a job in Singapore. And then for myself, I was already in a relationship with Elia at that time, my wife. Um, She is in the Middle East during those times. And I now have a choice to either stay in the Philippines um, and then let her stay. We're not together. Or try to work overseas and hopefully we'll be able to live together there as for me as an engineer and for her as a nurse. Um, the, because in the Philippines, nurses don't earn much. They need to move out of the country in order to earn a decent pay. And at that time, Elia was still helping her family. So I, I cannot ask her to stay in Manila after we get married or for the long term, because I know that will be difficult it will be difficult for her to support her family. So it wasn't just that she was earning money money for herself, it's that she was earning money to support her wider family as well. That's correct. Um, Is the same largely true for you though? So in your engineering field, by moving to a place called Singapore, a place like Singapore, do you end up getting paid better than you would in the Philippines? Significantly better. Um, There was even a point in time that I was able to send money back to my parents in the Philippines. Okay, so, so so the motivation or the energy to move overseas really comes down to the fact that, that jobs pay better. Not really. Um, pay is one. Second is it's something more long-term for me and Elia. Okay, yeah, that sense of being able to establish, establish yourself in a place where you have the economic stability and the economic resources to build a life for yourself. Mm. 
So already we've introduced uh, Elia into the conversation, but I don't think you've yet told us the story of how you two met. So how ah. did you meet your now wife? No, I need to be careful now because she was in your podcast before and we need to be consistent. She was, and we are, <laughs> we are definitely going to be matching up the two stories just to make sure that, uh, and, and we're going to assume that Elia's was correct and that yours might be incorrect. So, so there's yeah. pressure on you. Let's see. Um, we've met online. Um, we've met on a chatting program at that time. Um, we hit it off. We texted a lot. Um, we call each other every night. Just spend some time together. So can I just pause you there? You say you met online. Unpack that a little bit. Like, like I meet lots of people on my, online, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to marry them all. So what was it about meeting this person online, or about meeting Elia online that, that sort of deepened into this relationship? When I was younger, I was never... I consider myself as an introvert and I'm, I'm not really someone who speaks well in front of girls, especially during that time. So I went to programs like that to at least get to know other people without the fear of doing it face to face, something a bit more comfortable for me. Um, at that time, I remember I was chatting with Elia. Um, we have a few things in common. We both like anime and we were both officers in ROTC, the reservist military training in the Philippines. And then we just took it from there. So we found a few more common stuff. We talk every night. There was an effort to make the relationship or at least the friendship go further during that time. Um, you say chatting, was this, was this type typing or was this voice chatting? Type. So yes. it, in in this whole early phase of your relationship, you you hadn't heard her voice or seen her face. You just you were just communicating through text, uh, through typing on a screen. Correct. Eventually, I did call her because after the chat, I took her number. Then we texted, and then I called her every now and then. So so this is a very modern relationship. It just sort of builds up through through words and text on a screen, and then one thing leads to another. Yep. Uh, now you mentioned passing was it the ROCD? You were an officer in. So what was that? Um, reservist officer training course. So it's it's basically reservist training for high schools during that time. Um, so is this like a form of, of military training? Yes. Uh, so compulsory military training? Compulsory. Uh, so how many years did you have to do that for? That was, I think, one year in high school and then two years in university. So is, is this, this is a part-time thing that you do while you're still doing your university or you yes. literally take two years away from university and do this full-time? It's, it's part of your class. <laughs> okay. So it's, so it's like a, a subject that you need to do. Correct. Um, and, but it's compulsory? It is compulsory and at you, that time. And you became an officer? I became an officer. Which meant what? Which meant that I need to be a good example to my <laughs> to my classmates. So it didn't necessarily give you much status. Nah, not much. <laughs> not much. I get to stand in a special spot in the squad, but that's it. <laughs> All right. So back to Elia, you you've you've texted, you've communicated, you're beginning to to find common interests and go from there. How long or how far into your relationship did you begin to think that maybe this would become a lifelong thing? I can't distinctly remember but I do remember we had a sort of quarrel not quarrel I don't I don't know if she remembers it 
but there was there was some friction that happened on one night and then it's at that time I said well either I end this now or say sorry and then move it forward and I'm so happy that um, I said sorry and move forward I don't remember what happened then, but I do remember there was something in there that I need to know I need to decide is it is this going somewhere is this something that I want to hold on as we move forward and I'm very happy that I did so it was during, so it was after you'd met and after you'd begun to f- have a, a, a relationship with each other that she then moved overseas. Correct. And then that created a moment in which you had to think through, I guess, not just your own life, but to think through what it meant to be in a relationship with you. And as we described earlier on, that became part of the motivation as to why you began to look overseas for work. That's correct. So that, let's take you to Singapore. You've now got a job in Singapore. You've got this better paying job. You're hoping that it's creating a life condition that, that Elia can feel more comfortable to join. You get a better paid job as a nurse. You can begin to build a life together. At this point, you're not married? I am not yet married at that no, time. Um, so talk to me a bit about life in, in Singapore. Moving from the Philippines into Singapore, was that a big cultural change for you or was it, or was it a fairly small step? It's big culturally. I heard about Singapore being very strict with rules, which in the Philippines is not something that you really adhere on. Um, that Singaporeans are quite, at least in, or no, the people in Singapore are, there's a lot of, you need some discipline in Singapore um, in order to mesh well with your um, environment. And I guess that for me is something not really evident in the Philippines. So in what ways did you find that you bumped up against that part of the, uh, of the, the character? No, not really. I, I was a good citizen. I was a good person during in Singapore. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything that um, will put me in a bad position. <laughs> but did it raise within you maybe some tension or you, you, you found you had to, to be a, become a different person within yourself to, to be successful over there? Not really. I think um, when I got in Singapore... Remember how I told you that while well, well growing up, I was always looking for something comfortable and not really pushing myself forward. Yes. I think at that point, I thought to myself, well, this is it. I'm earning good. Um, I just make myself comfortable in my position. So I stayed in my job for six years, um, never really looking for something new, but I just stayed in there because that was something comfortable for me. And what job did you do in, in, uh, in Singapore? I was a software engineer in an automotive company then. Um, so at, at what point of this story did you and, and Elia get married? It's af- as soon as I got the job, when she went back to the Philippines from Qatar, maybe two or three months after I started in Singapore, I went back home and I proposed to her. And then um, roughly six, eight or 10 months, I can't count now. Eight, eight or 10 months we got married. Yeah, in, in the Philippines? In the Philippines. And then you went across to uh, to Singapore together. Yeah. And did the dream work out? Was she able to get a job as a nurse that was quite good paying and you actually were able to begin to build a life there? Well, we were together. Um, we were in the same church during that time. When she was about to get her job as a nurse, we found out she was pregnant with Julia. So we had to make a decision now whether she will be working as a nurse and we hire some help to take care of Julia or that we let her take care of Julia and not trust Julia with another person. And the choice you made was? Always choose Julia. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so in in practice, that meant that you were the one who was then working, and and uh, and Ellie began to focus on on raising Julie, which also means that, that your oldest daughter was was born in Singapore, not in the Philippines. She was born in the Philippines. Uh, she was pregnant in Singapore, but two months before she delivered, she went back to the Philippines because it's much cheaper there, and family is there to help. So here you are. You're in Singapore. You've been there for six years. Um, you you said as you describe yourself as someone who likes to find that comfort zone, and you and you were finding this to be a comfort zone for mm-hmm. you. But after six years, you end up moving to Australia. So what was it that dragged you out of the comfort zone to make that big step? At that point in time, um, we have a kid, and we have to look further ahead of what's what's in store for her. Um, in my six years in there, I well, let's say. I was there in a work visa. Um, that means that every two or three years, the company that I'm working for needs to submit an application to the government and have my visa approved so I can continue working in Singapore. Now, in the buildup during those six years, the Singapore government got a bit more strict in their policies with regards to foreign employment. Um, so I can say that I'm not. I can't say that I'm threatened, but I can feel that there will be some pressure coming on for us in the coming future. There's not much guarantee and there's not much something we can build on that um, well, that can guarantee us in the long run. And so that was the motivation to begin to look beyond Singapore. It, did, did you have any thoughts of going back to Philippines and, and working? Singapore was, uh, sorry, Philippines was not an option then because of, well, Philippines, how should I say this? Um, I don't think we can earn as much as we wanted in the Philippines. And so how did you come to pick Australia? Most of my friends then started looking overseas as well in light of the restrictions of the government during that time. I managed to go here in Australia for a few months as part of my work. And I kind of like it. <laughs> I mean, it's like what I said, it's a bit more comfortable, it's a bit more relaxed and it's something, it become an option for us wherein we can just stay in here for the long run. So were you able to get a job in the same company you work for in Singapore? Or did you have to quit that job and go looking for or applying for a brand new job just to get into Australia? Well, that's one of the miracles in my life. I've always known that God will provide um, in the right time. I got my PR earlier, but then Elia and I decided to stay in Singapore for the time being, so to earn up and to save up so that we can move here all together. And then the Lord was very gracious that there was an opportunity for a resident engineer here in Australia. And at that time, I already have my permanent residency and everything is all sorted out. So I was able, I was transferred from the Singapore office to Australia here. And so that, that company that you started working for in Australia, is that the same company that you're working for now? No. So, oh, sorry, in that time, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now that's good. And so you've now been in Australia, what, six, seven years? Six, seven years, yeah. Your youngest was born here? Or yes. Your second child was born here? Yep. Okay, so there you go. So we've sort of brought you to Australia, family, job. Let me go back in the story a little bit, though, because mm. we've skipped over a couple of really big and important things. So you said that in our last conversation that you're raised in a Catholic uh, home, Catholic community, Catholic Catholic expectations, but at a young age you were introduced to the idea of Protestants or this mm. other way of, of of connecting into the Christian faith. 
Um, tell us a story about how it is that you actually came. You mentioned last time as well about some uh, intersection with a Pentecostal church. So tell us a story about how it is that, that you began to form a more personal relationship with Jesus. Okay. Um, in the last episode, I did mention to you that the most the difference between Singapore and the Philippines was that um, in Singapore, there's no one who is minding you and you get a bit more time for yourself. Fortunately, I, I met a few of my university friends at that time and introduced me to this um, Pentecostal church in Singapore. And since that's by itself is a different way of approaching your faith, I everything that I was thinking of during that time when I was still younger, um, suddenly was like, there's a spotlight in there. There's some new light. There's, it, it's been refreshed basically. And I got to know more the Lord at that time since, because it's just myself and I, I have suddenly this free time to explore my, my newfound faith. Well, my, my new reestablished faith. And yeah, I got baptized in a Pentecostal church. I led a small group. Um, every now and then. I led a small group during those time, but eventually I had to move to a Baptist church due to some personal reasons. And so that, that, that so this is in Singapore still, so, so that was your connection into the Baptist church. Yep. And I guess, well, I'll ask you the question soon about how you came to Canterbury Baptist, but mm. I'm guessing that Baptist, Baptist traditional heritage may have played some part in that. Elia herself, um, um, how did she feel about you going to the Pentecostal church and engaging in faith in this new way? It's a bit different for her. Um, of course, not all churches are perfect. And sometimes people put emphasis on different parts of the faith too strong that it becomes the focus for other people. I mean, in, in leadership, it might be clear that this is just one focal point. This is just one point and then everything else are all equal. But as soon as you put layers of leaders and other members in between, sometimes the lines get too blurry that the priority is becomes wishy-washy. And at that time, I'm very fortunate that I can have this open discussion with Elia about faith, about um, Christian Christianity in general, not as Pentecosts, not as, not as Pentecostals, not as Baptists, but Christianity in its purest form. Um, and then something came up and we had, we need to leave that church. So we went into this Baptist church near us. Um, and it was there I met a new set of Filipino people to worship the Lord with. And eventually that, that was our church for the f three or four years, my last three or four years in Singapore. So, so let, let me ask you the question that I've already telegraphed, which is, okay, you're now here in Australia. How did you come to start attending Canterbury Baptist Church? When we moved here in Australia, we started staying in Mulgrave, but then my work is in Port Melbourne. So we just followed the tram line and eventually we ended up in Baldwin. Um, and then we tried a few neighboring churches. Eventually we settled down here in Canterbury Baptist. Um, we like how the program flowed during that time. We also like how there's a um, fully established children's church, which we believe is very important for Julia. And there, we just continued staying here, attending this church, sorry. This is the People of Canterbury Baptist podcast, as, as we both clearly know. Um, 
this is a, a bit of a platform of, of where we can hear each other's stories and hear each other's voices. And so this is also an opportunity um, just to be able to express something of your own heart, your own passion, uh, your own views uh, to the congregation. So I'm just going to sort of ask you a very general uh, question and just allow you to reflect on it in any way you want, which is, you know, knowing that Canterbury Baptist people listen to this, um, are there, are, there, are there things about our church which you would really like to just remind us all? So there might be something that you really love about the church and you just want to say, hey, I really love this about the church and I hope this thing ne- this thing never changes or this remains part of our of our DNA, part of who we are. Or are there some things you go, hey, you know what, I'd really like us to be thinking about this thing or thinking about that thing. Just as you think about the life of, of the church and your participation and involvement in it over these, these last numbers, numbers of years, how is it that you think about the church, and what is it that you'd like to tell us or remind us about about the church that we uh, that we're all a part of together? Well, I I guess we'll just have to remind each other that the church is its people, and the success or the fall of a church will depend on how the congregation themselves um, help each other out and be there for each other, strengthening and um, just helping out when needed. As migrants here in Australia, we've felt that genuinely from, let's say, for, from Keith and Helen, and even cases wherein we have to seek help from people, um, people of Canterbury Baptist Church has always been there. And I'm really glad that we are part of this community. And I hope that as we move forward, um, in the later days of our lives, we'll, we'll still remain this we will still remain in this community, or at least this community will always be special in our hearts. Now, as you describe yourself, you are you are a migrant, but your um, your legal position within the nation of Australia is just about to change. Yes, we'd like to inform the congregation of what's about to happen. Yes, we will be swearing allegiance to Australia at the end of this month, so we will be finally be Australian citizens come April. So for the purposes of podcast, which can be listened to maybe even years and years away from the recording date, this month is the end of March in the year 2023. So that's actually only about two weeks away on our current timeline, uh, so where we are, we're sitting right now. So in about two weeks' time, you're going to become uh, naturalised Australian citizens, get an Australian passport. Do you still keep your Filipino passport? How does that work? We will. Um, so the Philippines allow for dual citizenship. So once we get Australian citizenship, um, we're planning to get have dual citizenship in the Philippines so we can visit family freely. But Australia would always be our home from now on. And I guess that also then just 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 uh, is the answer to the last question I was going to ask, which is moving forward from here. How do you see your, yourself, your, your life moving forward? And just what you said there, you, you are seeing yourself because of the 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 uh, the citizenship pro, uh, program or process you've nearly completed, and what you just said there, you are seeing yourself really basing. Uh, so Australia becomes your home and your base. That's correct. Yep. Ariel, it's been amazing. It's been amazing just to have you journey us through your life to uh, to share your thoughts and to share your experiences with us. And I know we're all richer for spending this time with you. So thank you. Thank you for your, your, your role within the life of the church. You're often a behind-the-scenes person, particularly there on the computer on a Sunday morning is probably the place most people would see you. Um, but, yeah, you're often a, a, a quieter behind-the-scenes personality within the church, but you're incredibly valued and, we, and it's wonderful to have you as part of our, our congregation. And thank you for spending this time with us. Thank you for this opportunity, Stephen. And thank you to everyone who has tuned in to listen. This podcast is produced and presented by Stephen Field on behalf of Canterbury Baptist Church, Melbourne, Australia. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email cbc at canterburybaptist.org. If you're a member or regular attender of this church, how about you get in touch with Ariel directly and thank him for his contribution today. The music is a song The First Step by Andrew Naylor from his album Two Stones. This album is available wherever you purchase or stream your music. Join us next time as we continue our chats with the people of Canterbury Baptist. <laughs>